Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. What I want to talk about today in regards to Onyx and the Onyx Hunt app is the motor vehicle roads and trails layer. So what this layer is used for is basically Onyx hosted the roads and trail data from the U.S. Forest Service their motor vehicle use maps and showing which types of the vehicles are allowed on each trails. So this layer is available also for off-grid use. So when you download the maps, you can also download these roads, be able to tell whether you're allowed to drive your full-size truck on there, whether it's ATV only, motorcycle only, or just uh, a regular hiking trail. So being able to determine that can help you determine whether you want to hunt one of these spots or or maybe not and i use this feature quite a bit especially when scouting new areas and uh, trying to figure out access points so check that out and also just a little heads up last week i announced the winners of some of the giveaways and there's still a lifetime onyx elite membership up for grabs uh, the winner did not claim his prize within the, the week's time frame. So I'm going to figure out a different way to give this away. And so stay tuned to kind of figure that out. It'll probably go through social media as a second uh, way of doing this. So um, I'd, I'd pay attention over the Instagram page for that. And if you want to check out the Hunt app, go over to onxmaps.com. Use the coupon code EMW. That'll save yourself 20% off of the app. That is the Elite and the Premium Membership. So Maven Optics. Maven has come out with the highest quality optics available at half the price of their competitors. And the way they're doing that is through their direct-to-consumer business model and being able to be the face of the company within with being able to to really interact with their customers it shows through their customer service when you call and maven has has really been the the leader in being able to do that and they're you're not going to see maven you know with a whole bunch of advertising or doing you know a, a lot of stuff that some of the bigger companies are doing they're okay with being smaller They want to put out quality optics and have the best customer service available. So if you want to check out Maven Optics, head over to mavenbuilt.com and use coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT. Get yourself a free gift with any full price optics order. And the University of Elk Hunting. University of Elk Hunting is by Corey Jacobson and Elk 101. And they put out the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available. Anywhere from beginners all the way to experienced elk hunters can learn a lot from this course. And this is the time of year. Get it going. Start planning your 2020 elk hunting adventures. Um, I've been, As I've said before, I've, I've been going through this course for four years. It's helped me out a ton and reduced the learning curve in a lot of areas. And I'll definitely be doing it once again coming into 2020. Um, if you have not checked out the Destination Elk 
the V2, so the second version of Destination Elk on YouTube. Corey and the team are releasing daily videos over there. Uh, definitely go check that out and head over to elk101.com backslash University of Elk Hunting and use the coupon code East Meets West. That'll save yourself 20% off the annual membership to the course. And one other thing I did want to bring up. So if you followed along with any of my stuff on social media or anything you've noticed that I've been using Exodus trail cameras and they're out of Ohio. So I wanted to talk a little bit about their black Friday sale that they're, that they have going on here. So I got the word that they're having their best sale of the year. It's kicking off this Thursday, Thanksgiving, and I can't really share the details of what they have coming out. But I'd be sure to head over to their social media and sign up for the email newsletter to be the first to know. The deals that they have are usually claimed pretty quick. So I just wanted to pass it along uh, to you guys a few days ahead of time to make sure that uh, if you're interested in some trail cameras, you check that out. Their Exodus Render, which is their cell camera, I've been lucky enough to use it this year. It's the first cell camera that I've used that actually works as far as getting service in some of the areas that that I hunt and that's back in stock it's backed by their five-year no bs warranty and has the industry's fastest transmissions times so like I said I've been using that camera all year and I've been really really pumped with the results of it and it's still out there right now taking photos had it running since September um, on a scrape and send me a ton of photos so far and I still haven't had to change the batteries out in it which is pretty unheard of for a for a cell camera like that so and the last thing I I want to cover with Exodus you know like I said their sales going on but the biggest thing is their warranty so the five-year warranty that even comes with theft and damage coverage so basically for half a decade, you'll be covered by that. And and so far, I've had some really good luck with it. Besides uh, one I had taken out by a bear. And they have helped me out with you know replacing that through their, through their warranty program. So check that out. Exodus Outdoor Gear. Exodus Trail Cameras. And Black Friday sale starting here on Thanksgiving. All right. Now that I'm through all that and getting ready to jump into this episode here with Mark Kenyon, I'm really excited to get Mark on. You'll hear me say it in the episode, but I've really looked up to him for a long time and it was a big inspiration in in starting my podcast and getting kind of going with it and chasing your dreams. So this has been an honor to to have Mark on and be able to, to talk to him about little bit of deer hunting, a uh, little bit of you know traveling adventure, and mostly surrounded by his new book, That Wild Country, which is out will will be released to everybody December first. It was an Amazon first reads that's out now. Um, I I did just get the physical copy in hand, and I uh, have the digital copy through Audible. Um, coming out on December 1st. I'll have it. So I'll have both of them there. Really excited to dive into that. But as far as any updates from my end on the Whitetail Woods, 
as I said on last week's you know episode, the season has ended. I am planning on recording a podcast, just talking, you know, probably solo and just going through the season and you know just some of the reflections I've had on that. I've had a lot of time to kind of uh, you know think about all that. So I'll go into that at a different time, but. Um, rifle season is coming up here in Pennsylvania, gun season, the orange army, however you want to call it. And I'm going to be carrying my buck tag into there this year. It's actually the second year in a row. Uh, I didn't fill my bow tag, which is the first time in eight, eight or nine years or so last year. And I'm doing it once again. So I must, must like carrying that, that gun. Um, but anyways, I'm going to be going out on the Saturday opener here and doing that for the first day. And then as you know, if you're from Pennsylvania, you can't hunt on Sundays yet. Um, that's changed for 2020 with giving us three Sundays. But as of right now, uh, no Sunday hunting. So I'll be packing into another area on Sunday with a friend of mine, Adam Greenman, and we're going to pack into a spot, set up camp, and hunt all day Monday. And then I got to be back to work on Tuesday. So the, the spot we're packing into is a place that I've never been to, not even stepped foot on it. Uh, but it's a place I always wanted to go. And we're kind of just looking for a fun hunt. I don't even know if there's deer there. But uh been doing some scouting through Onyx and other things to to give it a shot. It should It should be a pretty epic trip nonetheless trying to you know look at this rifle season is is really being able to enjoy it take a lot of pressure off myself and and enjoy the the whole experience here so really looking forward to getting to do that um other than that uh i will be doing a sale uh over on the website i can't believe i forgot to mention this so any east meets west apparel uh i'm going to be running a sale on some of it on from Friday through Monday and there's no coupon code necessary. I'm just going to have some items on sale. Some will be the best prices that I'll have all year. I, as you probably know, I don't, uh, put things on sale very often. They've, uh, but, uh, going to do that here for the holidays. And if you wanted to check out some of the, some of the gear there, I would, would love for, for you to check that out and help support the podcast or picking up some apparel. All the apparel that I, I make is, um, I really started doing it because I just love hats and shirts and always thought I you know, could come up with some ideas that, that I would like for it. And it seems like other people have liked the designs as well. It's all very high quality stuff. It's not your, you know, your, your typical free shirts that you get that are just that heavy cotton. It's they're very nice um, materials, polyester tri blends, shirts, um, Richardson hats, legacy hats, a whole bunch of that stuff. So check that out. Three percent of those uh, sales goes back to backcountry hunters and anglers and the QDMA currently, depending on the product, and looking to expand that as as I move forward here. So. All right, uh, enough of my rambling here. Let's jump into this podcast here with Mark Kenyon. All right, we're live. Mark Kenyon on the podcast tonight. What's going on, man? 
Hey, I'm glad to be here. It's uh, it's always fun to have the roles reversed and I get to be the guest. I, I've always thought that's the easy job. So yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see see how how you do with it. It's funny whenever I interview, you know, other podcast hosts and stuff, I do the same thing, but it I like it because they can kind of sometimes it comes back and ask me questions and it's almost like uh, it takes the takes the pressure off me a little bit because they're used to used to talking to people on the mic. Yeah, I'm not good at much, but I can certainly BS. So uh, <laughs> I, I got that covered. Yeah, so I guess Mark, let's uh, let's get started here with talking a little bit about uh, who you are. Just give uh, the listeners a little bit of a background on yourself and what we're talking about with with podcast. Yeah, well, uh, I'll give you the the Cliff Notes version, and you can let me know if you want me to expand on anything. But uh, basically, about a decade or so ago, uh, right when I got out of college and I was starting my full time you know, career in the online marketing space, I decided that I want to try to find some way to combine my love for hunting in the outdoors um, with with kind of what I was doing in my job, which was communicating with people online and, and connecting with bloggers and doing different things like that. And so long short of it is I started a website called Wired to Hunt, uh, which was which was a deer hunting blog. And over the last decade or so, that has grown and grown. Uh, I eventually got into writing for magazines and started filming videos and then launched a podcast, which is the Wired to Hunt podcast. Um, was able to go full-time with that uh, in 2013. And so I've been writing and talking and filming about deer and hunting in the outdoors for, uh, I guess, it's six years now, full-time. And then over the last year and a half or so, we merged Wired to Hunt uh, with Meat Eater, so now I'm a part of the mediator team there with Steve Ranella and that whole crew, and we're doing some cool stuff, uh, all related to hunting and fishing and conservation. And then most recently, um, wrote a book too. So I'm kind of just doing a whole lot of stuff in the outdoors, and really thankful to be able to do it. Yeah, well, that's that's awesome. And Mark, I I think I got into starting to listen to podcasts and maybe late 2014, somewhere around that time frame. And there was a couple podcasts that first came out that I first started listening to and Wired to Hunt was one of the first ones. Um, I, w- when did you say that you started that? The podcast started in the spring of 2014. Okay. So I knew it was pretty early on that, that I found it and started listening to it. And, and that's kind of when I became obsessed with listening to podcasts and, <laughs> and learning more. And at the time, uh, you were one of the very few in the, in the hunting space, at least that I was aware of. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for listening first off. And, and yes, I was fortunate to be able to, to get into it relatively early on and, um, been able to grow, uh, grow it since then. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, you know, I, I, I had been running Wired to Hunt the website for a long time up to that point and had been a podcast listener, but kind of resisted the urge to start one. Uh, once I went full time with it, though, I decided, you know, I've got the time. It's worth a shot. And it kind of exploded. It was it was much more impactful than I ever really expected it to be. And uh, definitely has helped take things where they are now. So I got lucky, I guess. It's It's been quite a ride. 
Yeah, well, you, you definitely put in the the work towards it, you know. <laughs> it, like with deer hunting, you know, luck is when you, you know, the, what do they say with that when preparation meets opportunity, exa- right? Exactly. That's that's exactly right. And yeah. So that's that's one of the things that so kind of with with your podcast when when I listened to it, I mean, it was a couple years into that and I started expanding, listening to some other ones that it was kind of one of the influences for me to to go and start this one you know i had kind of an idea with with after i started going out west and and being able to show people that it's possible to everyone you know no matter where you live at that these western trips and adventure style hunts are are possible and i i just went up and down about the idea in my head for probably a year and a half before i made the jump to do it and you know between your podcast and and i had had met brian call from the gritty podcast and he he really walked me through it and helped me get it off the ground which has been extremely helpful and it's uh it's it's really cool to like i said just to be able to to get you on here after listening for for quite a while so once again mark i appreciate that yeah well i uh i appreciate the chance to get to be on your show it's pretty cool it's nice to see nice to see like you said someone who who listened to what we were doing and and be inspired and take the leap and do it yourself and i'm always excited to see people that are chasing chasing their own dreams so two thumbs up to you for doing that and actually doing the work yeah thank you it's definitely as you know a a lot of work when it comes down to it but um so the 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 funny thing is that i was able to get you on here in november which is crazy um, I don't even like to record podcasts in November. <laughs> it, is, it is tough. That's true. Luckily, luckily we've hit my, no, I have a November lull where, uh, my, my brownie points with the family have, have run out. And so I have to go home and just be a, be a dad again and try to be, try to be better about those things. Um, and so this is a time period that I always come back and I, I rest up a little bit and, and do some things like this too. So it worked out well. Yeah. And you're, so you, you had a post today on Instagram that I I shared to my story that had to deal with a little bit with you, you know, being a father and spending mm-hmm. the time, you know, with your family versus, you know, how we get extremely uh, passionate and kind of narrow-minded when it comes to deer hunting. And I'm a, in a little bit different place than you in my life as far as I'm not married and I don't have kids. Uh, but that's something I still struggle with a lot. And so it was pretty, it was pretty timely, I guess, to, to see that, see that post. And, you know, if you want to explain a little bit what you, what you wrote there. Yeah. I mean, I, I had just been, as I just kind of jokingly said, this is the time of year when my brownie points run out and, and I don't, I don't mean that uh, literally I have an incredibly supportive wife. Um, but I have kind of an internal meter. I, you can kind of start to feel when when you're needed a little bit more. And, and so, like you said, we're in a different place in life. I have a wife. I have an almost two-year-old son. We have another son on the way. And every year, even when I was just dating my, my girlfriend at the time and then we got married and, and the kids, you just have increasingly more obligations, um, which which are really important. At the same time, though, I'm, I'm very driven. I'm very goal oriented uh, when it comes to hunting. I take it really serious. I, I, I want to give it everything I have. I want to leave it all in the field. So I constantly have this battle within me between 
all these different things that I want to do a really great job at. I want to be the best husband I can possibly be. I want to be the best father I can possibly be. I want to be the best hunter I can possibly be. And I don't want to cut corners or leave anything behind on any of those. And so it becomes quite a challenge <laughs> to try to do that because you can't. You can't do it all, unfortunately. You can you can try your damnedest, but you'll almost kill yourself doing it. Um, so every year I find myself learning a little something, not getting it right all the way, but getting a little better. And and that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, we, we just finished a marathon of a month of hunting, and it just gave me another reminder of, okay, you did some things pretty good here. You worked your tail off. Uh, I made some changes in my hunting schedule to try to better help out with things at home, but maybe I could have tweaked things a little bit more, or maybe I need to get better at, you know, thinking about other people than me. Um, so that's just something I think all of us that take hunting really seriously or our careers really seriously, whatever it might be, um, is probably something that's helpful to always kind of be reminded of. I just need those nudges every once in a while. And, and that was on my mind the other day. So I, I shared it and maybe that gave a helpful nudge to some other folks, um, so that they can, you know, learn from some of my mistakes and some of my lessons. And it's kind of what I try to do with, with, uh, with my platform, I guess, wired hunt and social media and everything is, is try to just share the the reality of the things I'm going through, the, the good, the bad, the ups, the downs, the mistakes I make, the lessons I learn, the things that go well, the things that don't, um, and just try to share that all and, and hopefully help some folks out along the way. Yeah, no, I, I definitely appreciated it. It's one of those things that like you said, it's not it's not talked about much, and you see, you know, everyone having a great season, and all this stuff. But there's there's all everyone deals with different struggles with that, and and you know, balancing the time. That's like I said, just one that kind of hit home with me, and needing to sometimes uh, prioritize a little bit differently, I guess. But like you said, it's with everything in life, it's a game of learning and messing up and trying to make it better next time. Yeah. Yes, that's the truth. And it's it's better to be trying and failing than not trying something at all. So I, I'm all for failing a lot as long as you're learning and growing from it. Yeah. So, Mark, you said you just kind of finished up your um, you know marathon of whitetail season and a little bit of a lull here. How has your season been to date? You know, it's been pretty good. It's been a little bit of a weird one. Um, it's. I guess on the, the, on the negative side, I have had a lot of unfilled tags. I've, I've filled one tag and I've had a series of other trips and hunts where I haven't filled tags. Um, so if you if you want to look at it from the glasses, half empty side of things, you would say, okay, that's, that's not great. One for five on tags or something like that. Um, on the glass half full side, I've been able to hunt a lot. I've been able to go to some incredible places. I had a really awesome hunt on public land in western North Dakota, solo trip out there in public land, sleeping in the back of my pickup in some of those beautiful country you could ever ask for. Um, did a equally, even more so probably, stunning trip in the backcountry of the Boundary Waters Wilderness in northern Minnesota. We canoed in, camped out for a week, uh, paddled around in canoes, chasing deer, trying to catch some fish, shoot some grouse. Just a great trip. Um I got to be part of a mentor hunt and take some new hunters out. And that was a really fun and fulfilling experience. Um, and then I got to do some just local Michigan deer hunting, which is a blast. Um, I, I was successful 
killing a mature buck on this new property that we're uh, doing a project on for Meat Eater, which is great. Um, and then I chased, uh, I'm kind of, here in Michigan, I kind of get hung up on trying to kill one specific buck. I've got a couple spots where I have the opportunity to see some deer sometimes year after year. And so I usually get stuck on that. And, and so this year has been one of those years where that one deer I'm after has been evading me. Um, but, but the one cool thing about this year has been, um, as I've kind of been growing as a hunter, I guess I've been changing my goals and I've gotten a little bit more picky this year. I, I don't feel like I have to shoot something just because I have to fill a tag. Um, I'm going to, let the hunt play out. I'm going to have more challenging goals. I like to push myself and see what's possible and, and, uh, see what I can learn. So in North Dakota on the first day of my public land hunt, I passed a really nice buck that I probably would have killed any other year. Uh, but I'd seen a, a bigger, older deer that morning. And so I wanted to, I thought he might be, you know, still coming. So I passed on a really nice buck in, on that hunt. Uh, later in Michigan, I passed on four different shot opportunities at Pope and Young Bucks here in Michigan, um, which is something I never had done before. And this year now I do it four times. Um, so could I have filled a bunch of tags? Yeah, that's, that's like a nice thing. I can kind of pat myself on the back and say, ah, you, you could have, but you chose not to. And that's a new thing for me. Uh, some people think it's maybe crazy. Some people think, oh, it's not a big deal. But for me, it's been a new fun thing. And would I, would I like to hopefully fill a tag or two more? Yeah. Um, I'm sure trying, but it has been, uh, it's been a learning season because of that. And, um, and it's been, it's been fun. Yeah. And like you said, that kind of the evolution as a hunter and as you go through and you get, you know, a little better at it and you start to learn more, you know, you always want to, you know, at least I do want to set my goals a little bit higher and kind of change it year to year. And I struggled with the, the same thing this season with going into it with higher goals, I guess. And, and it helped that I had killed an elk out West. So I had meat in the freezer already with the pressure that wasn't, wasn't yeah, on me. Helps. And, uh, so I, I went into it with, you know, really trying to go after, a, uh, an older deer. I didn't target a specific deer. I kind of burned myself out on that a few years ago and told myself at least for a few years, I was going to take a break from going after one deer but uh it was and you were able to you were able to crack the habit see i keep telling myself that and then i fall right back into it every year. <laughs> <laughs> what i had to do was just completely hunt new areas and i challenged myself for my week of my rutcation i hunted completely new spots that i never i didn't even put trail cameras up until the fall and it's a little bit of a drive so i didn't uh i i couldn't go check them regularly i didn't know what was happening during the rut it was completely new so that kind of helped with that but at the same time it was tough in my own mind being like am i chasing something that's not here <laughs> I, I don't know but uh the signs showed that i was you know chasing something realistic and and then eventually once i checked my cameras i was but it was it was extremely tough and you know in my own head to to be able to do that. But like you said, it's kind of like the, the evolution with it. And, and I passed on some good bucks that I normally would be, you know, tickled to have an opportunity at in Pennsylvania, but it, it is what it is. And, and, uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, 
moving on a little bit to, to rifle season here and see how that goes. But like you said, I mean, when you look at it from the glass half full perspective, you know, you fill in one out of five tags or whatever that is. It's not, it's not a terrible thing. It sounds bad when, you know, if, if, you know, it sounds like you're like me when you, you look at it on paper and you're goal oriented, but at the same time, it's, it's all, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have no complaints. I know that when, the, when the season's all done and I look back, I'll be able to say, man, that was a hell of a journey. Um, killing a mature buck in Michigan, uh, you know, four or older any year is a huge accomplishment in my opinion, hunting small properties and private permission stuff and all that kind of deal. So it's, uh, that I can be proud of. And I had opportunities elsewhere that I chose to pass. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm big on the process. I really love the, all the stuff that goes into trying to get to that end result. And usually like in the moment, like during the season, I stress about the end result because obviously I, I want to kill a deer and I want my goal to be achieved or whatever. And so like right now, um, I'm still staying up at night thinking about how I'm going to get this one buck or today I was out there. I, we spotted him last night. I thought I was going to get a crack at him today and I didn't because the combines came in and ruined my hunt and I was all pissed off about it. So right now I'm all on edge, but <laughs> once the season's done, I'm gonna, even if I don't kill the bucket map, I'm going to look back on this season and just say, man, like the ups and downs, the hard work, the, uh, it was worth, it. it was fun. The chess match was awesome. You gave it all you had. Um, as long as I had fun, and I gave it everything I had, and I learned learned something. And I know I'm a broken record. I feel like I've said that over and over again. But uh, when it's all said and done, I'm going to look at it and, and be pretty happy with it. Yeah, and like you said, it's we put so much pressure on ourselves. And to be honest, I think I like the process leading up to it when it comes to scouting in the spring and doing that and trying to figure it out in the summer. You know, peering over maps and marking waypoints and the planning phases of it just as as much if not almost more than the actual hunt sometimes yeah. because yeah, that, the, the hunt stress all the anticipation <laughs> yep i'm right there with you man. i love all the preseason stuff it's just full of anticipation and hope there's yes. no stress it's just because right every year in march and in june and in august you know that this season's going to be the best season of your life, right? It's just every year, like, oh man, this big buck's going to be running around everywhere. I've got the plan in place. I've got to figure it out. At the moment, all is right. All is good. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not until <laughs> the season hits that shit starts hitting the fan. <laughs> yeah. And and it seems like, you know, then once, you know, I stress so much about it and then I'll, you know, get to the end of the season and whether it works out or not, like you said, you, you feel fine about it, especially if you, you know, you put the work in. It's just, and it always seems for me that I'd like to take the hard way about, and I don't, I don't do that on purpose. I just, it seems like it always takes to the last couple of days of whatever season that might be. And I'm like, you know, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, getting done earlier for once. That would be kind of cool, but it's not always the case. <laughs> yeah. You got to take it however it comes, I guess. Yeah. So with um, Michigan's rifle season is, is or gun season is open now, correct? Yeah, it opened up uh, the fifteenth of November. Are you? Do you hunt with a gun at all? Yeah, I'll go out with it. I I, I definitely prefer to bow hunt, and that's ninety five percent of my hunting. Um, but I don't have anything against guns and gun hunting. So you know, I know some people are 
really adamant about sticking to their bow and and not going to the firearm i'm not fundamentally opposed to it so so yeah i'll pick up the gun take it out so that's why i went out with today i took the gun out to see what would happen and uh i'll go up to our northern michigan deer camp this weekend that's up in the rifle portion of the state so i'll rifle hunt down there down here it's the shotgun zone um so yeah i'll get a little bit with that and then muzzleloader season later in the year uh, i'll do that too yeah, well, that's good. So you said you're heading up to your your deer camp um, in, in northern Michigan this weekend. Is from from what I see, I'd, I've never hunted in Michigan or anything, but it seems like Michigan and Pennsylvania are a lot alike from the tradition yeah. standpoint, and you know, going to camps and everything. Are so what what are you excited about with with going to that hunt? Oh man, so much. Um, and it's not so much the deer hunting, it's more so just the place and the people and the culture. It's it's just about the whole experience up there at our camp. I mean, that's where I started going when I was, I don't know, four years old. I started going up to our deer camp. Uh, we call it Kenroven. That's the name of our camp. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And it's just, you know, it's where my grandpa bought this little cabin and 40 acres surrounded by public land on on two sides we've got access to something like 8000 acres of public land right out our back door and that's where i learned how to walk in the woods and where i learned to sit and watch deer and to be quiet and to move slow um and just developed a love for the outdoors so every time i get to go up there it's just so full of memories the wood burning stove, the crack and pop of the logs, the propane lanterns and lights. We don't have electricity. We don't have running water, so it's very rustic, and I love that about it. So I'm just excited to get up there with my dad and my uncle and buddies, and I'm not going to hunt too hard, to tell you the truth. I'm going to get out and just sit and enjoy nature, but most of them there to drink some coffee, look at the racks on the wall, reminisce, tell stories, eat some good food. And kind of remind myself um, why I originally got into this and why I fell in love with hunting in the first place. It wasn't because I wanted to be stressed out waking up at four in the morning hunting 21 days in a row. Um, as much as I love that too, um, it was because I loved going up to this place and being a part of the hunting culture and, and being with family and friends and the outdoors. So I will be really looking forward to getting out there and doing that. Yeah, no, that's that sounds awesome. And and that's just very similar to the you know the Pennsylvania hunting tradition. And when I look at uh, the gun season or the rifle season here, I look at it as the time we have just about everybody in the family that goes to our camp, and everyone's there. I I don't take it as serious as as I do bow hunting. Not even close. I I just I truly enjoy the whole camp aspect more than anything and you know then even if when someone gets something it's always hanging on the pole outside mm -hmm. on the meat pole everyone's talking around you know having a couple beers just sharing stories and and everything that's involved with that process and you know l last year i was the first year in a, in a long time well this year i'll make two that i didn't fill my bow tag in, in pennsylvania so i went out with a rifle and and the one morning I decided just to sleep in, make bacon and eggs, have a cup of coffee and just go out for a walk. And, and I ended up filling my tag, uh, my buck tag 
doing that. And it was just so refreshing to kind of awesome. change, you know, just hunting off the ground, um, just kind of sneaking through and, and snuck into this area where I knew some bucks were bedded and it was just kind of, uh, I don't know, like it, like I said, a refresher, uh, for me. And that's kind of what gun season does. And this, that, that whole camp aspect is what I look forward to as well. Yeah. That's what it's all about. So I think we're on the same page on that for sure. Yeah. So Mark, I, I'd love to, I could probably talk to you about whitetails, uh, for a couple hours here, but what I'd like to talk to you about even more today is a little bit about your journey into writing that kind of took you down the road to, to write your newest book, that wild country. Yeah. I'm happy to chat about it. So when you, you got into, you know, writing with, you mentioned it earlier with your blog with Wired to Hunt and, and then, you know, kind of starting to write for some magazines and everything was writing something that was always something you were passionate about or how did you kind of get into that? Well, it started with being passionate about reading. Um, I've been a book nut from about as early as I can remember. Um, I don't remember exactly what the age was, but my parents always joke about the fact that I read the book Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton, like the adult novel. I think I was nine years old when I read it. Um, so I've been reading serious books since I was eight, nine, ten years old and just like really, really into books. Um, our family, our family's big fun Friday night thing is that we would go to Outback Steakhouse and then Barnes and Noble every Friday. And that was our thing. So that was kind of the world I grew up in. We were really into books. And so I've just continued that all through life, um, enjoyed reading. And I kind of dabbled with the idea of writing a tiny, tiny bit in high school. Um, I thought, oh, it might be cool to be a sports writer, write about basketball and football and all that kind of stuff. But it never really occurred to me that I could do that uh, in relation to my love for the outdoors until college, I guess it was the end of my college period. I, I went to school for business, but I had this internship in New York city with an ad agency. And my job basically was to connect with bloggers and, um, get them to write about our clients. So like Reebok was a client. So we would send free shoes to bloggers and then, you know, try to get them to write about our shoes. And, I realized, oh, wow, there's these things out there called blogs and people can write about the stuff they love and they're getting, you know, they're getting free shoes and they're making some money from it. Wow, that's interesting. And I started wondering, well, maybe I could do that with deer hunting. And so that's when I started Wired to Hunt, the website. And, you know, once I just kind of had that idea and started blogging, then that kind of rekindled my love for writing which I'd always enjoyed, I guess, in school. And as I started to write for the website, that inspired me to just try to become a better writer. So I started uh, reading books about writing and paying attention to other good writers and reading more books, not just to enjoy the book, but also read that book from the perspective of a writer and trying to look at something and say, why do I like this? Why is this so interesting to me? Why did it pull me through page after page after page and keep my interest? How do they communicate an idea and make it simple enough that I could digest it, but still interesting? Um, so I started trying to analyze uh, the things I was reading in that kind of way. And so, yeah, I mean, as I was trying to build Wired Hunt, I 
tried to start writing for magazines. I got those opportunities, got to write for most of the, most of the hunting magazines out there and, um, kind of checked that box and that was really cool and a great opportunity. And I knew at some point though, that a book was something that would be a dream. It's something that I would love to do. I just wasn't sure how to go about it. Um, but started looking into it and kind of by some great luck and a great friend, um, you know, I, I, sitting there drinking a beer with Steve Rinella a lot of years ago and was telling him about a book idea of mine. And he thought it was a good idea. And he had a friend that was a book agent and he said, you should talk to this guy. And, and that kind of led to one thing, which led to another and another and another and a a whole lot of work. Um, (laughs) I think I started working with my agent back in 2015, maybe on like a really early version of this book idea. And then in 2017, no, 2016, we started really knocking out the book proposal, and um, and yeah, I guess we had a book deal by the fall of 2017. So I mean, years and years in the making. Um, so it's quite a relief and kind of crazy that there's actually a real book in the world now that started years and years ago. It's just an idea led to a whole lot of late nights and stress and wonder and worry, and uh, now it's a real thing. Yeah, that's that's crazy, and and you know from an outside perspective, I didn't know how long or the process that it takes to to write a book, you know, and and you know from a from a perspective of not knowing anything, it's like okay, you, you know, you sit down and you write this book over a period of time, and then you just you publish it, <laughs> you know. Right, <laughs> it's not quite that simple, unfortunately. Yeah, that would that would have made that a a lot easier for you. But it would have, man, just to get the, the proposal, which is this whole thing like that seemed like almost writing a book just in that cell. <laughs> and then once you get the proposal out there and you get a book deal, then you have to write the damn book. And so that, whew, that was a process. Oh, I can imagine. So with, with the book, so before, before I start asking some questions on it, can you give, uh, the audience here just like a, a brief, um, understanding of what the what the book's about and just kind of your reason for writing it and then we'll kind of dive into that a little bit more yeah so the book is called that wild country and it is this i think i should i should be looking at the actual book right now but i don't have it in my hand but i think the subtitle is an epic journey through the past present and future of america's public lands and basically what it looks at is the history of how we came to have 640 million acres of federal public land in America, the story of the people, the controversies, and all the work that went into protecting these places, what that looked like, and then you know how, how we got to where we are now. And then it looks at what is going on right now and some of the recent events that have brought public land to the top of mind for so many people over the last five years or so. And I took a look at those issues and those topics through the lens of my own personal experiences. So I went over the last decade or so, my wife and I have been fortunate to be able to spend a lot of time exploring public lands. Uh, we've been going out and living out West for two to four months a year, bouncing around from campground to campground. And so told a series of my own stories out there exploring these places and wove the history and the information through those stories. Um, So I was kind of inspired to do this because 
you know, I, I love, I love these big wild places. Um, whether it be national parks or wilderness areas or national forests, um, my life has been so positively impacted by open space and open country. And I, I've increasingly, as I've gotten to spend more time in these places, I've come to find every year how threatened these places are. And, and so, of course, as I know you're aware of over the last five years or so, there's been a lot of controversy around this idea of transferring public lands. And so when that started popping up in the news in like 2014, 2015, um, I started paying a lot of attention to it, started to try to spread the word about it and, and try to stand up for these places. But I also realized, wow, there's a lot I don't know. I'm from Michigan. I thought I knew a decent bit about public land. I'd been out there. I'd spent a lot of time in national parks and hunted on national forests and did all this stuff. But I, I realized I didn't really know a whole lot about how we got to this point. Um, and I talked to my friends and family around me, and they had no clue. And I started realizing that there is this huge, um, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm blanking on the right word here, but there's a lot of folks that are unaware of what we own, what we have as Americans. Some people don't even realize that we have public land. So I finally realized, you know what, there needs to be a book written for the for the layman. There needs to be a book written for the every guy and girl out there, the average American who isn't living within the conservation world, who does not obsess over this stuff every day. Because there's, you know, the people that are in this all the time as a career or the really avid hunters, um, you know, Randy Newberg knows about this stuff, but the average Joe on the street who is not obsessed like we are of these things has no clue. So I decided I would share my experiences. I would share my journey trying to learn about what has happened and what might happen and see if we could kind of get this to a larger audience that needs to know about what's going on. Because if there aren't people that know about these places and visit them and care about them, if we don't have that, then there's there's a whole lot of folks that will take advantage of that, and uh, and we won't have them for long after that. So that was kind of the long story of how I tried to try to make this whole thing a reality. Okay, so when what you said there would, that really resonated with me was talking about like just the I guess information gap maybe is a, a good way of explaining it for people that aren't aware of, you know, what we have. And, you know, kind of from my own perspective, I grew up in Northern Pennsylvania and basically out my back door is over 500,000 acres of national forest. And throughout the rest of Northern Pennsylvania, there's over 2 million acres of public land. And I took it for granted. Like I just grew up hunting it and hiking, fishing, doing everything, camping, and didn't realize what it signified until I moved away. And I lived in the Pittsburgh area for a while. And I, I'm like, wait, what do you mean? You can't just hunt wherever I can't, yeah. I got to find these you know places and I'm trying to, and it was a struggle, you know, when I went and went to college and everything, it, it took, it took me a little bit to, to really appreciate what I had because I didn't really know that, that we had it like that. It was all, you know, ours to, to use for, you know, whatever purpose that may be. And that's, you know, one of the things for me personally, I mean, I grew up in it and I didn't know anything about it and I still, I'm still not going to pretend like I know everything about it or I've tried to stay up with it and learn a lot. And in the last, 
probably four years especially of paid attention to it a lot and and have you know tried to do my part in in sharing some of the stuff that you know that I've learned about it and everything else so I think that that um, I I did just recently pre-order the audible version of your book I'm excited to read it and kind of see your perspective on that and and get to learn more about it because when in another example I guess is I had held a backcountry hunters and anglers pint night in my hometown which is full of deer hunters and hunters in general and I was really surprised the amount of people that weren't aware of the you know the problems that we're having or the the things that we're facing um to our public lands and yeah. and just it was it was kind of mind-blowing it was eye-opening i just you know assumed even as i learned in the last few years that you know more people were aware of that and that's really not the case no i, I think the vast majority of americans have no clue no clue at all. We're, I think within the hunting community, even within the hunting community, it's still relatively lackluster. And, and we are one of the most educated communities out there about this. So like you said, I think information gap is a, is a great way to describe the issue out there. And that was my hope with this book was that maybe we could take a stab at moving the needle in a positive direction a little bit. And so when you, when you started, you know, traveling to these places and, and, and looking at it, I guess, from a, a little bit of a different perspective as you started learning more about it. Did you try to gear some of your travels towards, you know, the places that had, uh, you know, significance, uh, whether that's, you know, current issues or things that are, you know, threatening these public lands or what was kind of like, how did you I'm trying to think of the, the right way of explaining this, but how did you pick these places to go to and, and, you know, looking at it from a, um, an open mind. Yeah. So I, I absolutely was thinking about that. Um, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm able to work remotely. I can work anywhere I want. And my wife has a job that allows her to work remotely. So as I mentioned earlier, we get to go out and travel for months at a time. And so I am blessed to have had a lot of different options to choose from. So we were going out to all these different places that we kind of wanted to go to for various reasons. And I could then cherry pick, okay, I think this would fit within the narrative. So I basically had two timelines. I had the timeline, which is the information timeline, that is the history and current events. And so I kind of laid all that out. And then I tried to look, okay, now what would be destinations that are representative in some way connected to each one of these different pieces of the pie? So, for example, um, our first national park, our first major piece of our federal public land system in America is Yellowstone National Park, created in 1872. And so that seemed like a very natural place to start the book. So, of course, if I'm going to talk about the beginning of our public land system, I'm going to go to Yellowstone National Park to talk about it. Um, the second major phase of our public land history really centered around the works of Theodore Roosevelt. So I was going to examine what he did over his lifetime and all the changes that happened to our public land system during that period. It seemed natural then that while talking about that period in their history, I should go to the landscape that most shaped Theodore Roosevelt, which was the Badlands of North Dakota. 
they call it the cradle of conservation because that's the first Western landscape that TR went to and he fell in love with it. And he came to realize that, wow, these places are worth standing up for. And so I went to the Badlands out there and, and we went camping and shed hunting and did some really cool stuff out there. Um, so for each different part of the history, I, I found connections back to a landscape and that helped me pick the place that I would go see and experience. And I tried to have some diversity in different places, uh, some diversity in different activities. So on some of these trips, I was hunting and some of these trips, I was fishing some tip trips. I was backpacking. I was pack rafting, uh, shed hunting, uh, day hiking, uh, trying to think what else we did some peak bagging so a little bit of everything um, because it was important to me that i wanted this book to appeal not just to hunters um, but really any and all outdoor enthusiasts because i really do think that this issue of public lands it's it's a it's really important that we come together as lovers of the outdoors whether we are hunters or climbers or anglers or bike riders if we're republicans or democrats men or women black or white whatever it is this is something that we need to unify around. And so it was really important to me to try to um, tell a story that was open and inviting to all sorts of different people. I, uh, I did notice on Amazon. So now that your book was, you know, released uh, through the first reads there and it looked like there was people giving it reviews already. And, you know, a few of the ones that I read, I didn't go through the list, the, all of them there, but I read a few of them. And they were from non-hunters, which was interesting to me. So that's, that is cool that you're able to appeal to, you know, I guess traditionally in, in your past, your business has been centered around hunting. So that's interesting that you're able to, you know, reach out and, and kind of hit some different, different markets there. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's not, and it wasn't done just because I was trying to reach those other markets. It really is just who I am too. I mean, I, I'm an avid hunter, but I also love backpacking and I love rafting and canoeing and kayaking and hiking and camping. And, and that's what we do all spring and summer is that kind of stuff. So I shop at REI and I shop at Cabela's. I get Field and Stream and I also get Outside Magazine. So I'm definitely a part of both of those cultures. Um, and sometimes we have this weird dividing line in between them. I'm a big advocate for trying to blur that line and, and get us all in the one big pot and, and make us a happy family. So I tried to try to tell that story. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I think that that is, is definitely something that needs to happen more because this is, you know, whether you agree with say that, you know, say the hikers that don't agree with hunting or whatever that might be, that doesn't matter when it comes to the scheme of things, when it's, we're looking at the public lands, we're all using it. And, you know, I, I was on an interesting trip to Alaska last year and I was up there with a company, Heather's Choice, that makes backpacking meals and, and backcountry meals. And my brother and I, and then maybe like two other guys were the only hunters out of a giant group of people. And they were all from different outdoor recreational groups. And it was really interesting to hear their perspective of hunting and just kind of their, their thoughts on it. And it was, it was cool to get to, you know, talk to those people and it's not something that happens very often. I mean, we're in this narrow minded, or I don't, maybe narrow minded isn't the right way of uh, explaining it. But what I see when I open up social media is usually a lot of stuff that's related to hunting. 
and mm-hmm. what I'm reading is a lot of stuff that's related to hunting. And I try to expand that and, and put myself in, you know, different places, but it's, it is, uh, it, it's some, this whole thing with the, the public lands. And I'm glad that, you know, the way that you were, you know, writing the book, I'm ex- excited to read it, but is be able to be appealing to all of them and hopefully, you know, show that, that doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on with it. Yeah, it really is. Like you said, it's, it's so easy to get stuck in an echo chamber where everything you hear and see these days is just people just like you. And we are rarely, at least I think a lot of, a lot of our lives exposed to people different than us or different views on these things. And sometimes it's just a matter of like what you were doing, getting out there and spending some time at a campfire with someone who's got a different perspective and just talking about it and talking about these things, not in a adversarial way, but just tell me about what you do. Tell me about why you feel differently about what I do. Let's just, let's get it out there. Let's, let's help. There's info the information gap. So many times is the issue But people have, they make these assumptions based on what they see on the news or what they saw on this one nasty picture they saw on Instagram. And I think we just, whether it be hunters better representing ourselves to the rest of the world, or if it be a hiker trying to explain to us why they have concerns about this thing or that thing, so often it can just be handled by people just being people and talking and being open-minded. And if, if, if some in some small way, if I can help foster some of those open conversations because of this book, man, that's a win right there that I will take to the bank all day. Yeah. And so that, I mean, when you were writing this book, was that a goal of yours at all as far as trying to trying to mesh that a little bit? Big time. I definitely think that if I had to look at the top two goals for this entire book, number one, it is to just, excuse me, I drank, I drank one of these bubblies, these sparkling waters, and now I'm, I'm paying for it. <laughs> I'm actually currently drinking one myself. <laughs> it's dangerous. We, we should know not to do that as podcast hosts. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but, uh, but what I'm trying to say is I think I had two major goals. <laughs> Number one was I wanted to try to address that information gap. So like we've already talked about, I felt like there's a lot of people that just had no idea what's going on right now and no idea how we got here. So I really wanted to bring this to light in a way that any average person could process and, and find interesting. But then number two, it was this whole issue we were just talking about, which is I wanted to try to help bridge the gap between the REI crowd and the Cabela's crowd and emphasize the fact that if we want to keep these places around, if we want to keep these places clean and accessible and wild and um, you know around for the future generations and our kids and their kids to be able to enjoy in the same ways that we are, we're going to have to put aside our differences and create a unified front because there's a whole lot of other folks out there. There's a lot of money and a lot of other people and different interests and with people with other priorities that will take advantage of us if we don't. And it's a necessity. And I, I really hope that one of the things this book can help do is just, you know, we talked earlier about that little nudge. I hope that this book can give some folks a little nudge to be, um, open to reaching across the metaphorical aisle and saying, Hey, you know what? I don't necessarily agree with you on this and this and this, 
But I do agree with you on public lands. Let's work together and make this thing happen. Yeah. And like you said, it is, I, I just can't say it enough how important it was for me to get out of my little small town bubble that I was used to, that I grew up in. And once I got out, not everyone can, you know, move away and go to a, you know, work at a job, you know, out outside a city where I'm in, you know, not around <laughs> the, the type of people that I, you know, typically grew up with, but more or less trying to be around different situations, different people, and just talking about things. I mean, that just helped me so much being, you know, working in a place that, that I was one of maybe two hunters that worked there in in the office and in a corporate environment. And when I'd take vacation to go on hunting trips, I got a lot of questions. And oh yeah, it me was, too. Yeah, there were things that I didn't, you know, I never had to really explain before. And it made me think about it and the way I was presenting it. And I, I never, there was a few people that weren't very happy about it. Um, but for the most, and that weren't really open to listening or anything, but I took it as, all right, so maybe I wasn't explaining that clear enough, or maybe I, I didn't come off the way I needed to. And I think if all of us do that, we can help bridge that gap. I mean, I know that's um, a little bit off track of, you know, what your your book is, but in, in reality, it kind of does spin back around. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I certainly hope when it comes to the hunting side of things that, that hopefully a non-hunter will read this book and and come away from it with a slightly more positive set of ideas about what hunting is and who hunters are and, and how we care about the resource too. Um, I certainly tried to make sure that when I wrote about these things, I wrote about them in a way that could resonate with a hunter and still, uh, connect though with someone who doesn't hunt and knock on wood so far, I've gotten pretty, pretty positive feedback on that. Um, there's a few reviews that you mentioned, uh, from non hunters. There's, I remember reading one from a, someone who described herself as a vegan and she said there was a few disturbing hunting moments in there. She like, <laughs> she gave a warning. She said something like on page 278, uh, he does such and such. And on page such and such, he goes on a bear hunt, but it was unsuccessful. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like there's a few things like that. Um, but, uh, but overall, overall, I hope it, uh, it does some good things. I did read that. That's one of the reviews that I read and it was, it was so funny. It's like, I got a good chuckle out of it. <laughs> it's like warning, like in capital letters, yep. however it was warded. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's even a picture of a dead caribou in the, in the mm -hmm. one thing. And, and I cracked up a little bit about <laughs> it, but, uh, no, that's, that's, that's really cool. And I think the the whole mediator team does a, a great job of, of being able to appeal to a, a wider audience and and St Steve Rinella, I mean, I I think that's awesome that that you get to work with him now and you know he sounds like he was you know some of the inspiration behind you you know going forward with this book and I really enjoy reading a lot of Steve's stuff. I've you know read American Buffalo and and uh, one of his other books and. So what, what I like to do with books, I, I like to read myself and I wasn't always that way, but I like to mix, you know, a little bit of hunting books, business books, just a whole bunch of different styles. But I always tend to get like the audio version and then also a hard copy 
Cause so if I'm traveling on, you know, whether it's hunting trips or work trips or whatever that might be, I can listen to it as I'm driving. Um, but there's nothing really better than, you know, sitting down and in the recliner and, and going through and reading one of those books. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. You, you go, you do both of them at the same time. I, I've considered that, but I haven't quite done it yet. Um, but it is nice to be able to have that audiobook on the long drives. I did that North Dakota hunt I was telling you about earlier. And so that was 19 hours of driving there and 19 hours driving back. And I did that solo and I was trying to do a lot of it quickly. So I was driving through the night. Um, so I downloaded a 58 hour audiobook, which was just a <laughs> lifesaver to get me through that drive. <laughs> so. I definitely know the benefits. Of <laughs> I will. I will give some caution though that it can get messy, and I really wouldn't recommend trying to do both at the same time with the same book. Um, as far as you know, listening to a certain part and then trying to pick up right, trying your, to find your spot. Yeah, that doesn't work. And I've <laughs> I've went down that road. I'd highly recommend not doing that. And and a lot of books that that I enjoy, I really need to read them twice to really get everything out of it. Um, and you know, sometimes the time doesn't allow, or I switch topics and want to read about something else. Um, but when I get to read it twice, I feel like I can really the second time grasp on things a little bit, a little bit more. And so sometimes the audio version of that helps go through that, um, a little bit better. So yeah, it's cool. I do it. Yeah. So Mark, is there anything else as far as with the, the book that, that you want to talk about or any, anything else specific in regards to that? I mean, I would, I would just hope that, you know, if you are a hunter or angler or outdoor enthusiast in general, um, I think this book will hopefully be interesting if for no other reason than I take you along for some, some fun journeys. I go, caribou hunting in Alaska. I go backpacking in Yellowstone. I go on a fly fishing trip and pack rafting adventure in the Bob Marshall wilderness of Montana, uh, hiking around in Utah with my wife. Um, we go on a backpacking trip with my legally blind father in the pictured rocks, uh, national lakeshore in Michigan, uh, a whole bunch of interesting things kind of all over the place, North, South, East, West. Um, so I think that should be fun on its own, but the history side of things and the information side of things, um, at least to me was fascinating. And from what I've heard from people, I think there's just so much of a unknown. We just have these places, but we didn't, we, we don't know where they came from, but they just seem to have dropped out of thin air and, Oh, like you said, there's two million acres of national forest. I can get out there and enjoy these places. And very rarely do we ever get a chance to sit back and say, who were the people that fought to make this possible? When did this happen? Why did this happen? Uh, why the heck are so many people trying to get rid of these places now? Why are there so many folks that want to sell them off or transfer them away? Why do people occupy wildlife refuges and make demands of the government. Why, how, how is all this stuff happening right now? It's, it's really hard to pick that up just from sound bites on social media. So I hope that by checking out this book, you come away with just a much more holistic understanding of how the hell we got to have such an amazing thing here in America and uh, maybe inspire a few folks to get out there and explore it too. So that's what that wild country was all about. And it was a, 
heck of a project. I mean, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but it's also the most fulfilling and I really hope people enjoy it because it was certainly a labor of love. Well, I, for one, am excited to get a chance to read it. So I, I am, like I said, extremely looking forward to that. And the winter time coming up here is the perfect time for me after hunting season, running around to sit down and, and read a book. <laughs> yeah, it goes goes for me. It goes from hunting season to reading season. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, Mark, I do I do have another uh, question for you. Have you ever been to um, either whether it's been hunting or hiking or backpacking to any of the Appalachian region in the East Coast? A little bit, yeah. Um, so, I have actually hunted in Pennsylvania just a little in the southwest corner of the state. I've got an uncle who grew up there and he had a family deer camp that he invited me to a couple times. And then I also grew up, I think you would consider, would you consider the Adirondacks kind of part of the Appalachians a little bit? Yeah. Extended. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, so we spent a lot of time up there growing up every summer. My mother's uncle had a cottage, cottage or cabin or something like that up there in the Adirondacks. So we would go there every summer and camp and canoe and hike and all that kind of stuff. And, and then I spent a little time way up in the far Northeast, up in Maine and New Hampshire, uh, did some hiking and peak bagging in the white mountains. Uh, and then I guess, I guess as I say this, I keep on thinking of other things I've done. Then I was down, I've spent some time <laughs> backpacking and hiking in the Smokies too. So I've tried to dabble a little bit around there. Okay. And yeah, one of the, one of the reason I ask is it's, it's such a cool place that, that, doesn't get a whole lot of attention um, from that. And that's one of my goals is to be able to hunt at a lot of these states and areas throughout the, you know, the Appalachian Rangers, some great hunting and fishing and hiking and camping available that, that, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be able to explore that. And in a couple of weeks here, I'm going to be doing, it's just going to be a short, basically, one day of hunting since Sundays we're we're not uh, able to hunt yet in Pennsylvania, but um, a backpacking trip into a really remote place in Pennsylvania. It's going to be a backpack rifle hunt, and that's really cool to, to be able to to do that. And you know, it's just not something that's that you know most people think much about. No, and, that's awesome, and I'm really excited for that. So. Mark, if Pennsylvania ever comes on your radar to hunt whitetails, you want to do something a little bit adventure style mix, mixture of Western and, and whitetail hunting, then, uh, feel free to get a hold of me. Yeah, that's, that's right up my alley. I love, uh, I'm trying to at least once a year do one of these adventure whitetail hunts, kind of expand from the normal everyday hunt on your back 40, hunt in your food plot, whatever. Nothing wrong with that. I like doing that too. But I also enjoy going out there and experiencing the combination of the whitetail hunting I love so much with a different kind of place and a different kind of way of doing it. So that's why I did this canoe and backcountry hunt in the boundary waters. And next year I want to do a, uh, a hunt in the Adirondacks, trying to track deer in the snow, do a, you know, in the big national forests out there, state land somewhere. So going to be dabbling in some of those things, but I like your idea. I might have to take you up on that. Yeah, it, it'd be cool. The Adirondacks is one of those places that has been on my radar too. I want to go to. So I'm, um, um, jealous of that trip. It sounds, it sounds great. I've talked to a lot of people, um, especially in the last couple of years that have told me about it. And it seems like a really 
really cool place. Yeah, you know, we are we are really lucky. I don't think we realize it. I think a lot of times we take it for granted, but regardless of almost anywhere you live in America, you are within a reasonable drive of pretty stunning country. You've got some pretty incredible hunting access, hiking access, fishing access, camping, stones throw away from just about any place in this country. And not enough of us are taking advantage of that. So more more power to more power to you for getting out there and seeing it. And I hopefully I've got a whole lot of years left in my life, but I'm gonna try to <laughs> uh, I'm gonna try to see as much of it as I can uh, in however much time I've got because whew, we got some good stuff. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Well, Mark, uh, I I guess that's that's all the questions that I have for you when it comes to it comes to this. So I would I'd first I want to say thank you for you know coming on here. And secondly, where can everyone find some information on you and also your new book? Yeah, well, thank you for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, Number two, as far as following what I've got going on, probably the best place to keep up on all the variety of different projects going on in my life would be checking me on social media on Instagram. I'm posting a lot of updates. So it's at wired to hunt. And then my articles and videos and podcasts now are all on the meat eater website. So if you're following meat eater, you'll see new episodes of the wired hunt podcast. I'm hosting a new show called the back 40. Uh, that's there as well. Um, and then the book like you, like we talked about earlier is called that wild country. And that is available right now only on Amazon. But once December 1st hits, it becomes available everywhere. So uh, check it out. Hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah. Again, thanks, Mark, for coming on. And uh, hopefully we get to talk again here soon. Yeah, let's do it. I might need to uh, wrangle you over under the Wired Hunt podcast one of these days. I've been I've been meaning to shoot you a note about doing that. So this is a good reason to... Uh, to uh, drag you onto my show and return the favor. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That sounds good. I'll, I'll have to check my schedule. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, good luck. Good luck the rest of the hunting season. <laughs> you too, Mark. We'll see ya. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.